Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Movie Breakdown. We're back to reviewing theater movies. That's right. We've got SpongeBob movie. The Sponge on the Run. As well, we're going to be talking Netflix's Project Power. And then after we're doing four movie reviews, we're going to be looking at the recent hirings of Olivia Wilde and Nia DaCosta to sign on as directors for big movies in Hollywood superhero stuff. So lots to talk about there. I'm Scott Martin. And I am Christopher Spicer. And that is right. Movie theaters are opening up. They've uh, slowly been opening up in the States, but I feel like in the States, it's not really been a big mass national rollout because, well, let's be honest. And I know there's a lot of American listeners here. Your country's still a bit of a shitstorm. Yeah, that's. I, I feel. I I feel bad for because there's a lot of countries now that are that are regressing, and the the um yeah some of the openings in the in the states really set it up for failure. So I I feel bad for all the folk um folk there. But but you can escape the boredom because you've got us. Yeah, we're, we're here. We're your essential service. We're here to make it all good. We were declaring essential service back in April, if you all remember. And so we are here. We have never had to shut down. No, no, we we never got the notices. We, we stuck through. No, and that probably also helps that we don't record this show in the same room. And so it's been really easy to basically just keep doing what we've been doing since the beginning. We've never had to modify like some other people. I know some other podcasts, they've changed to Skype. We we did what everyone does before. We were, we were uh, revolutionary, innovators. <laughs> we've been doing the Skype before everyone else started. That's that's. I never thought we'd be innovators in anything, really. Well, I, I like to say we're innovators, but and this is not coming from some kind of place of like pride or like oh ho oh, oh, ho, oh, because who knows what's going to happen here in Canada? As I know in Ontario, schools are being reopening, so we we may be just as much of a disaster in a month. There's no way of saying, but because uh, 
We're in a little bit better shape than some other countries. We've decided to open up uh, movie theaters and because we're kind of in that spot in the reopening phase. And so I, I was really hesitant of if I would go back to the movie theater or not. And if I wasn't doing a podcast, and if I wasn't sort of trying to kind of progress my career as a movie writer and a movie critic, I don't know if I would go back. But even as someone where I'm sort of doing this as a, you know, kind of a side career thing and trying to get the podcast going and feeling that like new movies were a big thing. Well, the big thing was being like something like SpongeBob. It's not coming to the States until next year. So some of you who are American listeners are like, wait, how are you reviewing the SpongeBob movie Sponge on a Run? And it's because even though in the States it's not going on video on demand until 2021, in Canada, because again, because we're in a bit better shape and we're being able to reopen stuff, Paramount has sent the SpongeBob movie here. It came out on August 14th. It was coming out in theaters because we actually have open theaters. And so I started wondering... I have the opportunity to review movies that like the biggest country in the world is not able to review. I basically for the first time ever get a heads up on a bunch of American critics. They don't have access to this movie. I do. So should I do it? And so I, I looked into Cineplex's protocol and I feel like that Cineplex is doing the best way of opening up during a pandemic as you possibly can. I, um, I, I've been really frustrated with how the school board and how the Ministry of Education is opening up schools. And I've been going back and forth and trying to get details of how they're doing stuff. And one of my emails, I essentially said, uh, restaurants and uh, movie theaters have a more clear, concise, transparent opening protocol than you do. And it doesn't feel right that a movie theater should be safer than schools. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. If you're feeling that way, because like, I'll be honest, I know a number, I don't have kids of my own, but I know a number of people who do, uh, who, you know, who chose to send the human race forward and create little ones and, and all over different school boards in different cities. And, um, I haven't heard a single person say that they were confident in what was going on. Well, you've been hearing my worries for what? Two months now? Yeah. Like, like you've been a really good friend about it. I appreciate you constantly asking, but I feel like every time you've asked, I haven't given you any positive news. <laughs> well, the, don't worry about how well, that affects often it's, Have you heard anything? No. <laughs> yeah. send up email. They're not even responding to my emails anymore. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I, this is, yeah, I think it's just They bad. did respond to my emails initially, but then I think when they realized I'm someone who just doesn't take broad statements and I challenged them on their broad statements being like, well, what does this mean? Or right now you are passing the buck to someone else. I think when they realized that I'm one of those type of people, they've stopped conversing with me. So they'd use something like we're going with a, an approach of interactive fluidity um, and you'd be the kind of person yeah, be like what does that what mean, does that mean? yeah oh no, no it sounds it sounds interesting but what does that even mean <laughs> can you detail these things to me or they'd often be like they'd say something like well as you know it's the ministry of education that's put the guidelines in place and so uh, basically trying to pass the buck of like oh like we, we're not necessarily having to do those things we're just doing guidelines and i would then say yeah they're called guidelines though you still have to implement them. You mm -hmm. still have to show me how are you interpreting these guidelines? And they didn't like that. You know, I challenged them on that. Mm -hmm. 
But anyways, all that to say, I looked into Cineplex and they basically, the only way to go to the movie theater is you have to pre-order the tickets. You have to do them online and you have to uh, basically uh, pick a seat. So it's all reserved seating and it's all done online. And when I looked on it, it looked like they were only allowing like 20 people at a screening. And to be honest, I have no idea how Cineplex is making money on this. I think this is just a goodwill gesture because it's a very limited amount of people going to eat screening. And what they're doing is they're staggering it. So every 30 minutes, it's kind of a screening for the same movie. And so that way, when you come to the lobby, it's very, very barren, right? Because when, with it being staggered like that, you never have a whole bunch of people in the lobby at the same time. So, so it's really quiet, and then it's very limited inside the movie screening. Uh, I watched the protocol after the movie ended, and they wipe it down with sanitizer every single spot that someone sat on. They know where everyone sat. When we went to the bathroom, they basically sprayed it right after we were done and wiping things down. So I felt very safe there, and I think they have a very good protocol in place. The only thing, like I said, is I don't know how they're making money. And so it's going to be interesting of how long they can sustain this current model. But like I said, I felt very safe to the point where I brought my kids to see the Spongebob movie, Sponge on the Run. And I can understand that people aren't safe going to the movie theater yet or going anywhere. I'm still not safe eating at a restaurant. And so I get that. Like I eat on a patio, but I, I'm not comfortable being inside a restaurant. But I think I just, the movie theater is something I did for years now. I've done it for this podcast. I really missed it. And it's an emotional thing for me. So I decided to take it. And again, I get I'm someone different. I'm someone who went to the movie theater every single week. And so I was really missing it. And also, like, I want to review movies for the podcast and stuff. So I get for people who don't want to go. But I can say now that I'm there, it's they have the protocols in place. They seem like very safe protocols. Even when you order the food, the kids wanted a kid pack. They basically you stay distance from them. You don't get your own drink. Someone gets the drinks for you. So there's very little touching of like the fountains. It's only one person who stays there and mans it. Uh, you can no longer, you know, uh, get put on your own margarine or anything. It's all the employees that have to do everything for you. So I think that's largely safe. They seem to sanitize well. And like I said, really big spacing. We never ran into anybody, even though I know from looking online that, I mean, they had tickets. We basically went to a sold out showing a spongebob but sold out showing a spongebob is 20 people and so it's super super sparse and so again i don't know how they're making money but it feels safe so if you do want if you're missing the movie theater i can tell you at least in ontario they have really good protocol in place well actually i can say for brantford the very protocols in place i felt very safe they have everything in place basically once you arrive there's someone right there to greet you so making sure that only people have basically bought a ticket are allowed to get in they have things in place. We'll see how long, though, they can sustain this. I really don't know how they can uh, uh, make uh, money off this model. But I brought my kids, and uh, they were absolutely thrilled to come back to a movie theater. They were missing a movie theater uh, as much as me. They were absolutely over the moon to see uh, see SpongeBob. And I've said it many times throughout the throughout the movie. Uh, it, it's it's very cute. My my son right now is sort of figuring out films i think he's figuring out sometimes certain sense of humor as one point the uh, uh spongebob and his friend patrick were basically mock each other saying your your head is full of rocks your head is full of sand and then after they apologized and then as they walk off they started knocking out rocks the other one started knocking out sand 
and Everett started like laughing and let us know like, oh, the joke is the fact that they actually are full of sand and rocks. And so there, there's many times where he kind of declared like, oh, this is funny because they're doing this. And and uh, there, there was a part of zombies and Dan ended up not being scared. So then she looked over at me saying, I'm older now. I'm brave. The zombies <laughs> didn't scare me. And so they were really into it. They loved SpongeBob. And let me say right now, I'm going to be one of these people. I'm going to kind of pull a thing that like Scott uh, did with kind of Polly Shore. I feel like this is number three in the SpongeBob trilogy. We know that there has been several SpongeBob shows. And I'm going to say this. If you like the SpongeBob show... If you like the first two movies, you're likely going to have a blast with this film. If you did not like the first two movies or the SpongeBob show, this is probably not going to convert you. It's <laughs> essentially that. It's the SpongeBob humor, right? It's the things that have been in all those kind of movies where it's that, that kind of wacky humor. It's that kind of over-the-top stuff. You get these crazy cameos. You get sort of live-action cameos that come in a while. I'm not going to spoil the cameos. You can go on IMDb and spoil them all. I didn't know any of them because I don't think I saw any trailers. I knew nothing going into this movie. And so all the cameos to me were an absolute delightful surprise. And it's, again, it's kind of, I wouldn't have to say it's raunchy humor, but it's juvenile humor. It's the normal kind of juvenile humor. It's one guy kind of, he, he wants to have a beautiful face. So what he does is he's using like the the snail mucus to make his face and that's kind of a sense of humor there there's just a lot of that kind of uh wackiness and immaturity but what makes spongebob work so basically what we have here is a spongebob has a, a best friend a snail kind of like his pet and his friend uh gary and then a longtime nemesis plankton has learned that SpongeBob is the reason that he's never been able to get the secret recipe to Krabby Patties and why his restaurant has never been successful. So he essentially kidnaps the snail and gives them to King Poseidon because King Poseidon needs uh, the snails to, to rejuvenate his face and make his face beautiful. So he's given the, uh, the snail to King Poseidon. And so now uh, SpongeBob has to go on a road trip to rescue his friend Gary the snail. And that's essentially your movie. And like I said, there's wackiness, there's a sage who's played by a very iconic actor, and there's a lot of silly, goofy things, and it's all over the place, and it's all these different kind of rabbit trail stops and, and wacky kind of pop culture stuff. I think humor that some of it just appeals right to adults, but it also has that kind of immaturity and spastic energy that appeals to kids. But why I think SpongeBob has worked and why I've liked these three movies is SpongeBob is such a sincere and loving person. And he's got this uh, great friendship with Gary the Snail. He's got a great friendship with Patrick. But at its heart, this movie is about not judging people. It's about just needing to have friends and having a positive attitude. The power of SpongeBob is the fact that nothing really frustrates him and derails him. And he's a person where he'll be friends with anybody. Like even the villains, he doesn't see his enemies. He he, he believes in them and he sees something in them. And I think during these times, that's kind of the message we need. And I think of something like in the internet right now and on social media where things are toxic and just some of the things that people have responded this year. 
it's nice having this film where at its heart, like, yeah, it's wacky and it's immature, but at its heart, it's about love and it's about friendship and it's a lo about not judging people. And it's about just the SpongeBob being a sincere, caring person. And I think we need movies like that. And I think at its message, you just come out of it feeling good. And so I am going to recommend this movie. It, it, it's... Like I said, it's kind of wacky and immature, but if the first two movies have worked for you, this one's going to work for you as well. I'm giving it three stars. It was a great return to the movie theater for me. Sometimes, honestly, sometimes, and I say I'm using the word simple, and it's not to demean anything that, uh, like the projects these people work on and the effort they put in, but sometimes a, a positive, simple movie can really hit the spot. And I think now's the time where, like, myself, I'm really craving that sort of thing. I'm just really craving uh, positive escapism. Yeah, I think it was a really smart move by Paramount to push this and to put it in the theaters in Canada. I really think this is the type of movie you need to kind of launch movie theaters again. Because I think people, like you said, we're just need something positive. We're just needing something uplifting. And... That's what this uh, that's what this movie is like. You're you're gonna connect to that level. It really is about kind of friendship and looking out for each other, and we we can all be SpongeBob's. <laughs> so, oh, and we all are at heart. Um, it, the way you sort of described it as if you like SpongeBob, you'll like the movie. Sometimes that's, I mean, you always hope for more, right? You want, uh. Uh, like a, a movie from a TV show to be the sort of thing that would invite others into the world and make things easier uh, or just really accessible for people. But, but sometimes that's the thing is you just get sort of what, what you have known from that, that property already. But, but I think the best way to frame this is if you like sort of that kind of spastic goofy kind of humor like if you haven't followed spongebob like my daughter has not seen any of the movies she hasn't seen any of the shows but she still loved it i've never really watched the shows i've just seen the two movies and i really enjoy them so i'm not necessarily saying you have to be a, i think you can go into this not being a spongebob fan and liking it but you need to sort of like that kind of humor mm-hmm would you like there's, there's nothing here where like if you didn't see the first two i feel like this is pretty standalone like i don't think there's any idea like i don't think you need to know any of the storylines i think you can largely figure out the film pretty easily but if you're not liking sort of things that go on like little tangents and these kind of really kind of wacky over the top humor then you're going to be like this thing's really silly and stupid do you, do you think like, do you, it's do like you... Monty Python for kids, maybe, is the best way to describe okay. it. Because I was going to ask if it was like in the in the veins of something like Captain Underpants. Yeah, I, I would say that if you like Captain Underpants, you probably would uh, like this. There, there's no farting chorus in this movie, though. I Did I tell, ever tell you that I did get around to watching Captain Underpants? Isn't it delightful? It, it, it really was. It was just... I mean, it was a smile fest. I couldn't stop smiling. It, it was it was wonderful. The funny thing is, when I went into Captain Underpants, 
the movie when i re- reviewed the movie for this podcast i i really knew nothing about it and i really had no interest in it I, I thought it looked really stupid and then i liked it the funny thing is many years later now that i have an eight-year-old boy i'm very immersed into captain underpants we own almost <laughs> all the books and i know the world quite detailed but i started with that movie knowing nothing and many years later just because of i think having everett i, I i'm not full-on captain underpants and i know it quite well that's awesome, and and is the are, are the books sort of as uh, are they in the same in the same vein um, as as the movie was? Yeah, I think the movie captured the essence of Captain Underpants really well. What I will say, knowing the books, that the first movie is more based on what I think is the third book, not the okay. first one. Gotcha. gotcha. It's a, it's a, the villain comes in one of the uh, I think yeah the third or the fourth so it came a bit later i'm one of those type people it wasn't a pure adaptation of the first book okay now so you know me you know that i i get into family fair is this uh the sort of film where you would say once it comes out on video rent it to me yeah i think so i i I think you will find it just as uplifting and charming as i did i think you'll laugh i think you will definitely love the cameos in this uh yeah no it's really delightful have you seen any of the captain underpants movies i uh, the captain oh did you mean the spongebob sorry i i meant the spongebob no i've never even ever seen the show i i recommended the second movie scott on this show. On this very show. <laughs> and you just you just let it go like the wind. Uh, I, you just farted just, in my recommendation's face. You know, what can I say? I I'm just, At least that's the only time that you haven't seen a movie that I've recommended on this show. Yeah, every other time. Hey, or it's not the only time I've like really, really recommended is as far as putting it even as my number one movie of the year. It's it's it, it at least it's not like I would have done that. And the movie was available on Netflix, and you never took the time to watch it. Yeah, I would never do something like You'd that. You'd never do that. Yeah. But anyways, no, I, I would I would say you would have a, a wonderful time with this. And like I said, it's it's really easy to pick up. I don't feel like you need to know any of the other movies and yeah it's got it's got actors you like it's got Mm -hmm. actors i like it's got ridiculous humor it's it's a fun adventure movie it's a road trip movie and uh yeah it's got everything you want in a ridiculous cartoon i do have to keep on letting you know it is definitely ridiculous and silly and i think any criticism i've seen in this movie there isn't many because it's basically only been canadian newspapers that have reviewed it so far any of the criticism has basically been, well, this is really silly. And I'm like, yes, that, that's what they were going for. <laughs> it's, that's, that's the point. Um, do you know what wasn't silly? Wait, wasn't trying to be silly. <laughs> I'm glad you added that part. <laughs> Sorry. Was it trying? Wasn't trying. You know, do you know what wasn't trying to be silly? Do you? Do you? Uh, Tank. No, wait, Tank Girl <laughs> Tank was, Girl. wasn't it? <laughs> Wasn't it? I, no. I should be fair to Tank Girl. It probably was trying to be silly. <laughs> Out of Africa. <laughs> that, I, I, I think you're right about that. But also, also Netflix's Project Power, which is their latest Power. cinematic blockbuster feeling film. Um, 
it's cinematic and blockbuster feeling. And it stars Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the very cinematic blockbuster feel. Um, I, you know, can I say, here's something I, I, I dislike. I, you know, watch, we watch a lot of cooking shows and I hate it. I shouldn't say I hate it. I don't get it and I don't like it when people are like, you know, we're going to make vegetarian chicken nuggets. Why, you know, basically what you're trying to do is take something that isn't something, make it something probably and turn it into something that you're, you may actually be morally opposed to. I don't know your reasons for being a vegetarian, my thought is, why would you want your veggies to taste like meat? Vegetables have great flavors. Why would you spend time trying to make them something they can't be? That's my rant. Now, the same is true with streaming services. You can't... Like, you are what you are. Um, you should work within what you are. Let's look at Netflix's biggest successes... And almost all of them are stuff that works on the small screen. It's all stuff that, that fits with this idea, especially with the teen things. It's you, you can have edgier material that teenagers can watch. They're not getting turned away at theaters, you know, or whatever, because of, because of the content. There are built-in advantages to what streaming services can do. And I think the best use of time like the whole vegetarian thing is focus on what you can do really, really well, because you can say, Hey, look, doesn't this kind of taste like a chicken nugget? And I would say, why do I want something that kind of tastes like a chicken nugget? Why don't I just want a chicken nugget? And it's the same sometimes with these blockbuster feeling movies is you can, you can have intense, cool, fun films because I will say extraction it, 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 it felt good uh, as far as the visual sense and everything like that. It worked within what a streaming service can provide the home viewer. Trying to have sort of bigger, more epic things. It's... You, any, anyways, if, you, if all these like pauses and incomplete sentences haven't proven my point, then I don't think another pause or incomplete sentence will. So let me just keep going on to my movie that I'm talking about. It's Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt in, in a super fur, fur movie. <laughs> Sorry. A super fur movie? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on with me. Uh, the movie's Project Power, and I have to say right off the bat, I absolutely love the concept. The concept is there is this brand new drug that's basically being test trialed in New Orleans just sold on the streets, and what it does is it gives people a superpower for five minutes, and you don't know what your superpower is until you try the drug. And I guess it's supposed to be based off of animal powers, powers that animals have in the wild, because at some point down the road in the movie, they say something about that. But as soon as they say that, you look back on what people have turned into and you think where in nature is there something that can do that so while it's got this really cool concept that i am like i'm so behind this because there's a lot of intriguing ways you can take this concept when they come to their their own myth building 
they really stumble like they really stumble on their own mythology here and, and i find that it it starts taking place at the end of the movie where you shouldn't be stumbling over things like that the audience should just be riding along why even have to bring here's a question chris at the point when they started bringing up that it was based off of animal powers, why did they even have to bring it up? What did it advance? What did that specifically advance in the film? Well, because they're getting all the powers from animals, except that's not true. I'm lying. Yeah. It's like there, there's literally no reason to even insert that in there. Yeah, the, the, the power that they're harnessing, spoiler, doesn't come from animals. Animals, Yeah. And and I think that just sort of wraps up what the film kind of is, is it's a really great concept. And along the way, you have some neat scenes and there are some neat fight scenes uh, in there, some combat. But then there's also some pretty poor combat scenes as well, specifically one where a portion of the hand-to-hand combat was filmed... Uh, with not only just like a piece of glass between the camera perspective and the people fighting, but it was frosted over glass. So you have to ask Henry Joost and Ariel Shulman, the, the directors, what was the purpose of that? Because it it only doesn't advance the feeling of being into what's going on is it 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 physically just detracts you from it and it's like the movie did something cool and then goes back a second and and it's just this constant getting in its own way uh of this you know we've got jamie fox who at beginning seems like a criminal but you know jamie fox can never be a criminal he's just too nice doesn't matter what (laughs) film he's in and i'm fine with that He's great. And then Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he's a cop on the edge. And they team up with Dominique Fish, Dominique Fishback, who plays Robin, a teen on the edge. And, um, you know, it. I, th- I think there's some neat chemistry here between the characters. Uh, but all I can say is, like I've said already, the movie just gets in its own way. It goes forward in a neat direction. And then it's like it stumbles. And then you ask yourself at points, why was this scene even in here? Did I feel like it enhanced the film? Why? It, it's okay. It looks okay. But it feels like a movie that is trying to be something that it can't. It feels like a film that they're told, make this big screen worthy. Why would you make it big screen worthy if it's not going to be on the big screen? Focus on things like how the shots are going to look on a television. Focus on how the shots are going to look, you know, on on different types of screens. Just, I don't know. It's trying to be something it's not, and it gets in the way, but it's not horrible. It's got a great concept. Uh, I give it two and a half stars. Yeah, I agree with you that the concept is uh, is really cool. Like that idea of like a pill that gives you powers for five minutes. I think it's a great concept. Uh, I wanted to go back to one of the things you said in your review. You said that there were so many interesting ways you could go with this concept, like so many different directions. And that I agree with as well. But I think this movie went the least interesting way you possibly could go because we got an old guard situation here where, again, they thought that the first movie of maybe this franchise they want to do is about a corporation wanting to market the drug. 
I'm tired of evil corporations. Oh, but didn't you know they're the latest new fad? Yeah, but it's always the most boring direction to go in a superhero movie. Name one exciting time where they've done the evil corporation. Because I think that was Venom too, and I'm just I'm just bored with the evil, evil corporation. Interesting. It's the evil corporation. Do you think the evil corporation is just like an extension of the evil rancher that's like stealing cows in the western films? That that's basically all it is. It's. It's a rancher. It's the 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 pills are cows, and I mean, you rarely see the villain here. I mean, have we now seen the most boring, worst villain in a comic book movie now? Well, here here's my question: Who? Because, like I said, the story gets in its way. Is like it sets up a villain, and then that person's just kind of tossed aside, and then oh, here's the villain. Oh no, they're a henchman. Oh, here's the villain. Oh, and it it's just. But then when you get the main villain, you're like, oh, okay, so, yeah, dry toast. You farted on dry toast. That is exactly what happened. Uh, yeah, I, I just felt the villain really not interesting. And I, I feel the concept is basically what's trying to propel this film because the actual narrative is really generic. It's just a cop on the beat story, really. It's just tracking down the villain. It's no different than any police procedure I've seen other than they have superpowers and you're right. Like this is Netflix's attempt at a blockbuster, and I get it. It's being marketed as a blockbuster because of the type of summer we had. This movie got a lot of promotion, but just like Old Guard, if we were in a normal summer where we had theatrical releases, and this came out in the theater, would anyone even notice? Yeah, yeah. I'm like just... if you paid theater prices for this and went to see, would you come out satisfied at all? I think in some ways. People are being kinder on this because it's at home. If this is in the theater, this thing would have got ripped apart. Because the special effects aren't that good. There's especially one time where someone turns into like a Hulkish kind of character, an incredible and Hulk. It's and it's R.E.P.D. quality. Yeah, it it does not look good. Like it looks bad. And that that whole thing, it's like, oh, so they're doing what they must acknowledge. They probably do acknowledge doesn't look that good. So there's going to be a, a reason for why they're going down this road. And then you just a few moments later, you're like, wow. Okay. So they never even had to do that in the first place. And there's like, there's interesting ideas here. There's interesting ideas of like them using New Orleans, which, you know, New Orleans has been ravaged by the, by Hurricane Katrina and different things like that. There's a lot of interesting themes that kind of get set up in this film. And I feel like it explored none of them. No, it, it didn't. And um, I I don't know why um, Jamie Foxx's character couldn't have been badder. Couldn't, like, it, it could because how he's portrayed as this, like, villain doing his own thing villain one man army it then it pulled like the ultra typical but look looks we're gonna spin it around 180 degrees because he wasn't he wasn't understood except it looks really stupid because we're supposed to believe this like bonding where he takes on this girl so it was like his daughter's surrogate except he kidnapped her they bonded Absolutely. over being kidnapped Absolutely, because we, when he kidnapped her, we didn't know he was a good guy. 
And that he still kidnapped her I, though against her will. I know that's the thing though when movies change what characters do based off of the reveal, right? So we haven't revealed it yet, so he's allowed to do this. But after he's revealed it, then of course yeah, then he he's gonna... going. Bah, wah, wah, yeah, um. yeah. It it gets in its own way a lot. I I do have to say here though that I thought Dominique Fishback. This is like one of the first times I had seen her. I, I thought she was really good in this movie. I just wish she was in a better movie. I wish she was in a better movie, and I wish that her character actually had a purpose. Because I think if we look at the movie as a whole, like, okay, could her character have never existed, and would the outcome have changed? Here's the thing with that, though. Couldn't you say that about every character? <laughs> it's... Like, does George Gordon-Levitt, I love seeing him, but in the end, what did his character do? Well, he, he, he got in the lifeboat, right? Don't you remember how everyone's like, get in the lifeboat? And how, like, over 10 minutes, it's always like, I'll meet you in the lifeboat. Or after this, I'll get back to the lifeboat. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I Yeah, I, I felt this movie was largely very pointless. So I, I liked it a, li- a little less than you. I gave it two stars. Mm-hmm. It got two stars for the concept, but to be honest, and this is something I used to criticize you saying back in the day, but I'm now going to be a hypocrite and say it. I was bored for most of this movie. Nothing wrong with being, nothing. Well, there is something wrong with being bored with a movie. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, but I get it. I get it. I'm on. I, but, yeah. I, I just always find bored being the shorthand, but, but I, I think I've explained what it was. It's just mm-hmm. nothing happens in this movie. It's, it's really generic. Yeah. Which is too bad. Great concept and great cast. And this movie reviewed great, didn't it? Or is that something I'm just making up? No, you've made that up. Oh, I, I thought it reviewed really well. Maybe I'm just confused with the old guard. Because I was just going to say again, I, I feel like the people who are like all over this is, again, just because we... Blockbuster, like, we're starving for blockbusters. Yeah. Did... did did my my rant at the very beginning make sense? No, a hundred percent. And I mean, maybe one day Netflix will prove that rant wrong. But as of right now, they they just I don't know they they they're, they're just not in the position or the effort or they don't have made the infrastructure in place to create real blockbusters. Yeah, and I think they're more. You're sort of like, oh, that's a Netflix version of a blockbuster. But I am yet to see a movie on the when they try to make sort of that tentpole type thing where I would have accepted this on the big screen. Yeah, I definitely don't think they've gotten there in the tentpole realm. But I think I think we can say with some of the animated and like just the the production value of something like Extraction is that they they can make stuff that would look. Uh, decent in the theater. Um, it's oh yeah, I, I would have, I would have accepted Irishman in the theater. I would have accepted most of their romantic comedies in the theater. I mean, they, they've definitely made films that I think have a theatrical flair. I just don't think they've been able to pull off the tentpole feel. No, not not since that very first one. Spect- spectral, spectral. That that like when you look back at it. That felt like an early 2000s VOD film. I don't even... I remember the title, and I know we've referenced it a lot. I don't even know what it was about anymore. 
Was it like, was it the army was fighting ghosts? I, I think so. I think so. it was something like that. It wasn't were memorable. They using, were they using ghosts to fight bad guys or were they fighting ghosts? I don't know how you... Was, was it Ghostbusters with machine guns? I think, now I, I don't remember. I'm not going to relook into it. Eh, next. <laughs> I don't remember, but but to be fair, this is the, that I believe Spectre was one of those movies when when we reviewed it. I think I barely remembered what happened. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It it, it wasn't memorable in any way. So so speaking of sort of like the times have changed thanks to COVID. Uh, the the first movie that sort of was being heralded as the return to the theaters, because uh, like I said, SpongeBob came to Canada, but this is a movie that's also being released to theaters in the states. The first movie that's being heralded as sort of the return to theaters in a big budget film. We've got the Russell Crowe starring Unhinged, and I have to say that probably in any other year. This would have been a straight-to-VOD film. I think what happened here is you've got the situation where, okay, the theaters are opening, but all the major studios have pushed their movies off the slate. They pushed all their movies to 2021. All the big budget, like Fast and Furious and all these kind of uh, Black Widow, these bigger movies have been pushed later because they essentially the, the studios don't want to take a risk on the fact that it's very limited amount of people that can go to the theater. Even the theaters are open. Like I said, it's only like 20 people to a screen. So you're not really making a maximum profit. So I think a lot of the studios have shied away from wanting to release their big films, but the theaters are opening up again. The theaters need something. And so they're gravitating towards maybe these films that would normally be straight to video, but they got to find something that could potentially attract people. And so in Hinge, you got a thriller, thrillers do well, and you got Russell Crowe. You got yourself a, a person, a recognizable name. You have a star. And so I think basically the Russell Crowe name is what they said, oh, well, we'll try on Hinge in the theater. But I mean, this would not be something that would normally be released in the summer. Maybe August because it's throwaway, but even then... Uh, I don't even know if this would have got a theatrical release. So this was a, a big opportunity for this film to probably get more eyeballs. It would normally get and more promotion just due to this side, uh, due to basically these times. And what we got here is a, a road rage movie. So this movie starts off right away where we learn that this Russell Crowe character, he's, he never really gets named at one point. He kind of uses an alias, but I don't know if that's actually his, his name, but basically we have a, a guy who's uh, late at night, he's outside a house, and uh, we basically learn right away that he's kind of psychotic, as he uh, has a very uh, violent outrage. He, he invades a house, and, and bad things happen. And then we get introduced to uh, Rachel Hunter, played by uh, Karen Pistorius, and this is a girl, a woman who's having a really bad day. Uh, basically, her, her brother has to live with her right now. He's not even paying rent, her brother and his girlfriend. Uh, she has a son, Kyle, but she's going through a divorce right now. She has lost her hair salon. She's going through some really hard times. And then she's uh, losing clients, and so she's losing a lot of money. And then her her husband is, is filing certain things in the proceedings. And so we just know things aren't going well for her, and she's running late to school and if her son's uh, late one more time he's going to get a detention and so it's a bad day and then what happens is 
she uh, comes across a car that's not moving. The we got a green light, but the car's not moving. So she hammers down on the uh, on the horn, real loud and irritating, like. And then it still doesn't make the car move. And so she uh, she drives past it and sort of flips off the car. She's annoyed. Unfortunately, that car has a psychopath that we saw at the very beginning of the movie. That's a car owned by the Russell Crowe character, the crazy man who's already committed murder today. And so then he goes up to her when they're at another set of red lights and basically gets the sun to roll down your window, which is a lesson for everyone. If someone that you don't know a stranger and you've honked at them asking you to roll down their window, don't do it. Just ignore him. Keep your window up. They don't have anything nice to say. But here what he's doing, he's talking about etiquette. He's saying that what you're supposed to do is a friendly tap. Just a little light honk to let someone know that you're behind them rather than nail down the horn and so he thinks that's probably what your uh, mom meant and she says she didn't mean that and she's not going to give an apology and so that is that so he's off on teaching her a lesson he's going to teach her a lesson by stalking her and murdering people and basically causing general rampage that's a lesson he does and this uh this movie sort of like that kind of uh, two-hander type thriller, cat and mouse thing. It's him kind of following her and stalking her throughout the movie and tormenting her and and murdering people and sort of that kind of old-fashioned uh, uh, thriller. This is a film that right at the beginning you hear on the radio and you see through clips where we learn that sort of police are underfunded and road rage is at all-time high. Jaw blast is at all-time high. And so people are raging out. Like We're just, we're in angry times. People are lashing out. And that's what this film is kind of uh, uh, very cynical of how the times are. And it's kind of interesting because all over the news and everything. So you would have thought that this girl would have paid attention to that. And knowing that like hammering down on the horn would be dangerous if road rage is happening everywhere. But she didn't, and now she's uh, being stalked. And it's one of those cases where the Rachel character, at the beginning, she basically does every like horror movie cliche mistake. Instead of calling the police right away, she does everything but that. But then as the movie progresses, she actually becomes... Uh, a lot smarter and so she goes against the horror cliche a bit later in the film this is also one of the film and i don't know if it's the cynicism of the movie but this is the type of film where the guy can basically brutalize torture and murder somebody in a diner full of people and get away with it no one tries to stop him no one tries to call the cops he basically causes chaos on the streets and murders people. And I guess the the police force is just having a coffee break that day. Like, no one seems to go after him. No one seems to stop him. And I don't know if that's the messaging of what they're trying to say is, look what we can get away with nowadays or what. But it makes it kind of hard, um, hard to believe things after a while. We're like, why is no one stepping up? Like, he, he just gets away with everything. Like... It works better when it was Michael Myers at night and in the dark. But no, this is broad daylight he's doing all this stuff. And no one really seems to care. And this movie, like I said, it really hammers down sort of the, the rage and, and, and the hardships that people are going through and stuff here. And I will say Russell Crowe's performance is really good. And he's really intimidating. 
and I think he's a terrific bad guy. But one kind of thing that I was really uncomfortable about is when he's doing the thing where I say he abuses this one innocent person and eventually kills them. He also has a rant and he has a rant of like, these are the problem with lawyers today. And, and there's these hardworking men. And then what happens is their, their wives, uh, they turn on them and they try, they don't appreciate them. And they, they basically suck all the money dry from them. And, essentially to almost trying to say that the Rachel character is probably being unfair to her husband. He has this big rant and I don't think you're necessarily supposed to believe him because he's the bad guy, but he's the only person who does this preachy rant in the movie. He never gets countered. Rachel never gets a chance to counter him. We never get a chance of showing the other side. We just get this one rant. And so in some ways it's like, in some ways the rant is composed in a way where you're almost trying to sympathize with him. You're supposed to connect with him, except what he's saying is so toxic and evil. And so, while again, I don't think that's the message of the movie. I would say that there's a bit of an issue of how they, how they did that because there's never, like I said, a counter. And even the Rachel character, like they put in all this window dressing of her losing their job and issues with her husband, but it never goes anywhere. Like that, that's just something that's became the movie and they never resolve any of that. So we don't really get to know Rachel. We never get to see like her other sides. We never get to see when the movie puts in these social issues. We never get to see the counter. And I also don't really think the film's not interested in doing social issues. It's rather more interested in being violent and, and, and that type of stuff. And so there's just this weird balance where... With the Russell Crowe character, we see sort of the murder at the beginning of the movie, but we never really get to see what's pushing him. We never, he, he's just more of this kind of symbol. There's no kind of character in him. And I think when you try to frame this movie, I would have liked more character development. I would have liked to more figure out what it's trying to tell me. And it doesn't. So you're really left painting. And I think there is some decent use of music. And I think there's some decent use of thrills i think a few times i think there's some decent thrills in this film but like i said i think russell crowe is an amazing villain and i think karen Paseros is really good as uh, rachel hunter i think you you connect to her and you and you're with her and you're attached to her and you're rooting for her but like i said there, there's this lack of character development there's this lack of sort of uh uh, being able to have some empathy and I just think the messaging's all messed up and I also would say that there's a few times where you can kind of see the budget where I think some of the car chase scenes there's a lot of fast edits and it's hard to make it immersive and there's a big action sequence at the end which has sort of the Jason Bourne annoying cutting which I thought was unnecessary and so there, there's some stuff there that doesn't necessarily work the logic's kind of all off on this but there's times of it that I liked it. So I am going two stars, but I also think that's partly because I just really miss being in a movie theater. It kind of sounds like it's a bit conflicting in that, you know, there's there's something interesting in one way, but then there's all sorts of things that are not, like the messaging. And I mean, when you when you have... Okay, my thought on a movie like this, this, this type of film, is that you need to have... Or you don't need nothing. No movie needs to have anything, but it's helpful to have uh, a proper statement on what's going on, or, or or some kind of indication that I think you do when your villain has a uh, has a preachy rant, but no one else gets to have one. Because mm -hmm. in the end, you're thinking, was that the movie's message? 
Yeah, yeah, which is sort of what I'm, you know, would be confused about is, you know, what were they trying to say something? Was was this the misunderstood villain? And at times I felt like that's what the movie was trying to say. And I'm like, no, he's gross. He, and he's wrong. He, I disagree with what he preaches about. Mm-hmm. And I kind it sounds like this is the kind of film that the cops just never get involved because if they did, the movie would be over like within minutes. Is that kind of the case here? Well, I just, I mean, it's broad daylight in a diner. He is murdering a guy and everyone just watches aghast and then he walks out and I'm just like, no one like steps up or no one called the cops. Like, cause then he drives around for the next hour of the film. Like he's still just do, 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 do. Like, why is no one coming after him? Mm-hmm. And and that's a that's a frustration of mine in a movie. It's like, okay, you know, you're sitting down, you got the concept, and you're writing it. Okay, but we can't have anyone call the cops. Okay, we have to make it so no one calls the cops. Otherwise, because of what he's gonna do, they would just they'd find him within minutes, and and the the movie would would wouldn't exist. And, and cops do show up at certain types and uh, points in the film, but it's always like one person. And at some point, when like you know this guy's on a murder and rampage, I think you would have just sent one cop out. Mm. He's Russell Crowe. You, <laughs> I don't know what that meant. <laughs> I don't know what that meant. Because yeah, was... Russell Crowe's not the cop; he's the villain. Mm-hmm. The very... He's Batman Jack. Uh, would would you say that <laughs> is that a would that is that a good WCW character? Batman, Batman Jack. Jack. Batman Jack. Um, what what era are we uh, talking about? Oh, he would join the Dungeon of Doom with the Yeti and uh, the Shark. Batman Jack. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, he's got a place. He's got a place. Once, just with the idea, with the name, that's all you need. Batman Jack. He howls into the moon. Yeah. Oh, so this is a movie that you wouldn't recommend me check out then? No, I I think this movie would probably annoy you a lot. Because like I said, I I don't think the editing's particularly great. And it definitely uh, struggles with some logic. And it sets up some character stuff. It never follows through. Like when it ended, I was sort of like, huh. That was fine. But then I saw it several days ago and I thought about it more and I'm just like, I would never rewatch this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's not horrible. It's just, it's just fine. But I, I started getting more issues with sort of the messaging as I, as I thought about a bit more or, or basically it's failure at being clear about its messaging and just how in the end bleak, like it just seems to believe we're during a time that everyone is raging and, everyone's angry and and everything's negative and i'm like huh i'll watch spongebob again <laughs> so do you think you'll remember it in two weeks no Segway. uh banana split um i watched this movie a few weeks ago and so did i um and and i'm gonna be honest i i mean i i i liked it and I know that I liked it because I wrote on my um, spreadsheet three stars. However, um, the movie doesn't have a Wikipedia page, so I couldn't read a quick plot synopsis. 
So I remember very, very little, which I mean, you may be listening and thinking, though, this is very unprofessional. And, 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 and yeah, uh, you know, a lot of times there's at least some notes taken. Um, but for the most part, you can remember a film for like for three to four weeks. You can, you know, see a film and then be able to go back and talk about it. Uh, I just have to be completely honest that this, for me, wasn't one of those films. I remember in, uh, really enjoying Hannah Marks, uh, the main character who plays April. What happens, what I can tell you from memory, is that she's dating a guy. They break up and he, he starts dating another girl uh, named Clara. And Clara and April end up becoming friends. And... Uh, really start spending a lot of time together. And it, I liked the idea a lot of times, like I, I feel like a lot of movies, if they went with this concept, there'd be some romance in there. The, the, the two characters, oh, they, you know, there's got to be some sort of love triangle or something like that. Uh, I like the fact that they keep it platonic because it does make keep it feeling a little unique in that regard. Uh, I, I think it just remembering there there's some funny moments however i think it we need to i need to be honest about these things and when a movie does isn't memorable for whatever reason it's i can't hide from that fact that i'm looking at this film and 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 trying to remember much more than just just the basic concept or or, or premise here like I'd said that I, I, I remembered liking performances, but honestly, curse you Wikipedia for not having um, a synopsis of this film for me. Uh, you know, I like it's it, this feels so unprofessional. But what do you do, Chris? What do you do when you just literally can't remember a film? Is it your fault? You remember to take notes. You remember to take notes. Do you take notes all the time? Yeah, but that's just because uh, I follow a lot of critics. I know most critics take notes, so I try to take notes, yeah. Mm. But 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 what you're saying is reminding me. It's reminding me of... Uh, it's the interesting thing sometimes when you have time from something. Because uh, Roger Ebert did... Uh, he did a review of Adam Sandler's The Longest Yard. And he... Um, I think he, he did the video like they because he would he did his video show, and so he did the video show. I think this is when Richard Roper he would have done it with Richard Roper. So they they taped it and he recommended it and he liked it fine. And then he went off to Kings uh, for um, the two weeks the the film festival, and then he came back and he hadn't written the review yet. And so then he was writing the review, and most of his review is talking about. Now that he had seen all these movies at the festival and all these great films that he's not sure why he recommended Longest Yard and Longest Yard wasn't sitting with him as well. And, and like you, he wasn't really remembering it anymore. But because the show had already been filmed and he gave it three stars, his review basically says, I'm still giving it three stars because that's what I gave it three weeks ago. But I'm not feeling that anymore, and the movie doesn't connect to the level that I remember. So it just remind me of like what you're saying now. Okay, yeah, because I've seen some since I've seen Banana Split. I mean, 
I've watched The Death of Stalin. I've watched Booksmart. I've watched The Nice Guys. Uh, a whole bunch of other movies. The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Like I'm, We're talking movies that, that leave marks on you. And and maybe this this is sort of the cases. I've just seen a lot of stuff that is more occupying my brain. Yeah, I... Uh, so are you still giving it three stars? I'm still giving it three stars because that's what was written in... in you know, in, in my spreadsheet. So I'll go with that. Um, wait, no, two and a half was written. Oh my gosh. Okay. No, if you no, if you want to say that something unprofessional was done today, that's it. <laughs> I, I, I can't control my memory, but I can get this crap straight. So no, if you, something unprofessional was done and I do apologize to people. <laughs> so there it is. Two and a half stars for banana split. Okay, I also saw this two weeks ago as well. I, I, saw, I saw it like, actually, I saw it like three weeks ago. I saw it like the week before we were going to podcast it. But anyways, <laughs> so I saw this about three, three weeks ago. Uh, I'm also giving it three stars. And what I did like about this is um, I like the idea that it fits kind of the formula of what well, you're saying, the love triangle and sort of the uh, kind of has that that romance because what we have is essentially the girl who's dating uh, uh, April's ex, so Clara. She basically pursues April, and they have this friendship, but they don't want to tell Nick, who was her ex, and then Clara's current boyfriend, because they realize that's going to complicate things, and they're not going to put things on social media. They're going to have this secret. Uh, friendship and what I like about it is it sort of has the beats of kind of a romance and a love triangle but it's between two girls and it always stays platonic and I think often with these romantic things and I think even society sometimes there's this idea that when you've lost your boyfriend you hate the new person he dates you you're mad at the at the ex she she or no, sorry the current girlfriend she she's the villain and i think they always focus more on relationships in in films and what i are like romantic relationships and what i like here is it kind of follows the beats of a romance but it's this platonic thing at the core of this movie is really about is these two girls who should hate each other but they grow to really love each other, love each other as friends. And I just thought that was a really fresh take of following their romantic beats. And I think it's something that I think a lot of girls should see this idea of the importance of friendship. And I think this film is saying that in your teen years, that friendship is more important than sort of your romantic things. And this idea of don't lose those aspects. And so I liked that focus. And I thought Claire and April were really good together. I thought the performances were really good. I think there's times where I think some of the dialogue and some of the scenes were trying to be maybe a little bit too witty or a little bit too edgy. I think these are some of the signs of kind of a newer filmmaker and a newer screenwriter. I think a little bit of that kind of like that stuff uh, jarred me a bit, but I thought the the core relationship was really strong and uh, I liked the uh, the friendships that uh, happened here and so that's the aspect of why i'm recommending this at three stars is at times i did laugh but i also like almost this different take of this genre yeah and that was the that was the unique feel right like it it always i shouldn't say always but like almost always it feels like it's just got to force some sort of romantic tie up 
that there's got to be something that gets in the way romantically or or that the, these people they they just start off as getting to know each other but then they end up really falling for each other and and the fact that yeah this is just about two people who who got along who shared their lives and um that made it feel so unique and i'm not out to get um gingers and people with uh red hair i'm I'm not trying to be that type of person um but i don't know i i didn't really buy the they went a romantic they went more of a sidestep romantic direction with uh luke spencer roberts character and I don't know. It's not because he's a redhead, but I think it's how the movie conveyed him. I never really bought that he fit with these friendships or that any kind of romance could have came. You too, eh? It's got like, like you, it's got nothing to do with the fact that he's red haired. It has to do with the fact that he's portrayed, uh, like an outsider. Now I liked him a lot more than I did in the package. Because he, okay, it is the same guy. It is I was the same, wondering. It is the same guy, and he's got this likable element to him. And this is now I'm remembering stuff. This is great. This is absolutely wonderful. Well, that, that, that's why I felt like if I jump in and we start talking, that will help. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he does have this element where he's uh, he's harmless, but the 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 fact is that he really feels like he'd be the kind of person in real life that would be on the outs. Like he would be on the outsides. Sometimes teen movies, it's like they try to be like, oh, look how inclusive everybody is. And there's, you know, no cliques or whatever. But those things happen. And it, it does feel like his character in Banana Split just isn't a natural or in any kind of fit with what happens. Yeah. I didn't buy that the girls who were eventually attracted to him would be attracted to him. I didn't even really buy that he would be best friends with Nick. Oh, that was that was bizarre. I have to say that was just bizarre. Uh, I, I got some humor of the dinner table stuff and uh, the mom, Susan, who decides to uh, talk about her sexual escapades. I, um, as much as I didn't necessarily think it was real, I, I did sort of like that. So I do think there's some good humor here. I, I mentioned the mom because I was watching it. And I'm like, man, she looks familiar. Who is that? And then I realized she is the partner to uh, Ross's ex-wife in the sitcom Friends. And it all came together. All of a sudden, it registered. I'm like, that's who she is. That's... And she's Susan in that, too. Ah, now I now see now I'm remembering the dinner table. I, I and sort of like you, I it, it doesn't necessarily feel realistic, but I liked the back and forth, especially with the the sister. I mean, the sister was totally a movie character, right? Like this is yes. someone who was you see it and you're like, okay, that person only exists in movies, but I thought she was played well and she did make me laugh. Yeah, I, that's why, like, uh, Hannah Marks, who stars in this, also did the screenplay along with Joy Powers. Uh, Benjamin uh, Kasulk uh, directs. And, and I just feel like this is one of those movies where it's coming from 
younger screenwriters and sort of newer directors. Like I feel like that it's it's kind of the vibe of like a first film, kind of getting into mm-hmm. it. It's one where like I feel like there's greatness in these people. I think their next movie is going to be. You really got to track it down. And this is one where you catch later. You're like, okay, this is how they started. And you can see the elements of the greatness. But I think there's a lot of, um, yeah, like you said, there's moments where certain characters feel very movie. Maybe sometimes it's too smart for its own good. I feel like they're working towards what's then going to be a really good movie after this. Yeah. Sometimes you you, you see aspects in, in, in a first film um, that, that are handled fairly well. And... Uh, it's, I mean, the, um, how do, Kasulk? Would you say that's how Benjamin Kasulk's last name is pronounced? That's what I'm going with. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of experience as a cinematographer. And I think, um, I, th- I definitely think that there's aspects here. The fact that, um, you know, the, the flow of the film, even though, you know, he may not have, he, who knows if he had a hand in rewrites or if there were any rewrites, but the fact of that, that I think the, the main platonic relationship was captured so well, just in all regards, I think that shows that th- there's some skill there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I yeah, I, I just want to reiterate, I really like Hannah Marks and Leanna Liberato. I thought they had good chemistry. I think both of them uh, have a great future. So I think it's worth checking out. Um, but I actually, no, I don't understand your criticism because I don't know if you ever said them. Other than you don't remember. I don't. I don't, I don't remember your two and a half. It was a, I, I guess it was more just the jarring aspect, I'm guessing. That that may have been it. I, I think I think to the the last bit of the film, if I recall wasn't as smooth uh feeling as the first bit i i if i recall actually i think it bookends it i think the first 10 minutes is not very smooth <laughs> when they rush through the relationship yeah. and then the end when they try to resolve everything i 100 percent agree from again three weeks ago memory if anything if i do have an issue it's the beginning and the end are very unsmooth yeah and if i recall the end properly it sort of started falling more generic beats as well. Very much so. Uh, so I think that's where I lost out on it. Was 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 with that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. But anyways, I would say those are stars to watch. And mm-hmm. speaking of something to watch, there was um, th- this topic is because it's coming up, and I thought it's really worth talking about. Is there's been a lot of hirings recently for some upcoming uh, superhero movies. It got announced this week that Olivia Wilde is going to be doing stuff from like the the Sony Spider Man Marvel Universe stuff. Uh, the belief is that she's going to be doing Spider Woman, which has got a lot of fans excited. And we know Olivia Wilde from well, be the actress, but also directing Booksmart, and and I really like that because that that almost reminded me of things like you know where you had like. Uh, safety not guaranteed and then the next movie was kind of like jurassic world like there's this idea that a lot of or john watts who did cop i think it was cop car and then he got spider-man for males a lot of times we saw them sort of have a breakout with one independent movie and then getting to do a comic book movie and i like the idea that olivia wilde through book smart she actually got recognized this time and was able to uh get what's going to be 
I'm guessing a very big budget film. And then uh, Nia DaCosta, who uh, directed the Candyman remake, which hasn't come out yet thanks to COVID. It was supposed to come out in June. I believe now it's scheduled for October, which is probably a better time to do Candyman anyways, Halloween month. But uh, she now has been attached to do Mar uh, Captain Marvel 2, which I think is huge because there isn't really any Avenger movie for the next few years. But if there's any movie that I think is going to kind of have that Avenger feel or set up the next big arc, it's going to be Captain Marvel 2. And so it's really cool that uh, Lady... Nia DaCosta, who is not only a woman, but black, is being able to direct uh, Captain Marvel 2. And so I feel like we're beginning to see more and more opportunities happening for women. And on top of that, I mean, James Wan did Aquaman, and then he's going to be doing the sequel. Uh, Justin Lin is not a comic book movie, but he's directed a few of the Fast and Furious movies. Ryan Coogler has been attached to the Black Panther things. Uh, Ava Devenay looks to be attached to um, the new gods, but that seems to be kind of uh, far farther out. So I'm not sure when that's happening, but I feel her name is still on that. On top of that, I mean, this year you had uh, Kate Shortland, who we remember from Berlin, uh, Berlin Syndrome. She was going to direct, uh, she directed Black Widow, but we're just waiting for that to kind of get uh, released. As well, the director from Ryder, Chloe Zhao, is doing The Internals. And so um, Nikki Caro, which is not a superhero movie again, but she's directing Mulan. She did stuff like Whale Rider. So we're getting women that are doing these big budget epic films. And like I said, uh, I mentioned also things like Ryan Coogler and uh, as well uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, who is Asian. He's directing the uh, Shang-Chi film. And so there's a lot of big budget films where not only is it diversity with a female lead or a non-white lead, but we're getting now in the past, usually those would have been directed still by white males. And now we're getting diversity behind the camera too. And my big thing here is, is this now, is this just going to be a fad? Is this them responding to sort of allegations of racism and Oscars so white and stuff like that? Or is this now the future? Are we actually finally seeing these big opportunities happening to very talented people who happen not to be white males. Is this now our groundbreaking moment? Is this the thing that we've been criticizing since we've started this podcast and now change is actually happening? Uh, Patty Jenkins, of course, getting the Wonder Woman. It's looked like she's going to be able to do that whole franchise. These are big budget films giving big opportunities. Have we um, come across legitimate change? Now, one of the things here that I've noticed though is we're still in a spot where like Ryan Coogler is directing a movie with a black lead and Destin Daniel Cretton is directing a movie with an Asian lead and most of the female directors are directing a movie with a female lead and the only sort of one that sort of goes against that would be Chloe Zhao doing The Eternals which looks like it's an assembly film, a group film that has males and females. And so that's one where she seems to actually be able to direct a movie that's not just, oh, this is a female movie. This is a big budget film with kind of a samba uh, assembly or whatever you want to say, a group film. I, I don't know a lot about Eternals. I never read the comic book, so I don't know exactly how that is and you'll have to see but my one thing at this point is again like olivia wilde she's been handed a movie but it's going to be spider woman and i think if we really want to get away from the fad if we really want to 
make this something stick. I'm waiting for a female director to do a Batman. Or I'm waiting for a female director to do Spider-Man. Or a female director to get to do Thor or Avengers. I think that's the next step. It's not just, oh, look, yeah, female directors, but they're doing films that also it's like a female lead or a black director, but he's doing films about black stories. Now, one could argue, oh, but this is the movies they want to direct. They're picking because these are the stories they want to tell. And maybe, but five years ago, when they argued why females weren't allowed to do blockbusters, I remember reading an article where they say, well, they don't want to direct those. That's why. They want to do these small, intimate stories. And now it's pretty clear that that wasn't true. And they very much did want to do big budget stories and they wanted to have big budget and they wanted movies that made lots of money and they probably wanted to make lots of money. And so I am going to push back on that and say that I think that maybe Olivia Wilde would be happy to direct the Batman and maybe it would really help for diverse stories and such. And this is the thing where um, it leads me to my last point here. Some people may argue are you celebrating this? Are you excited about this? Because this is just, you know, diversity. This is just political correctness. And I'd say no. Why it's exciting is because when you get many different people, you get many different voices, you start getting different stories. You actually get diversity on the big screen. When you get different perspectives, you get a different slant. It's going to be told different than coming from the perspective of a white male director. So it's exciting because... We're not just getting diversity in who's being cast and seen on the big screen. We're getting diversity in how the stories are being told. We're getting diversity from the perspective. We actually are going to get a bunch of different type of movies and feeling movies. So it's actually good from a creative standpoint. It's actually good from a quality standpoint of getting all these different uh, stories being told. So it's exciting where... A lot of people are arguing that big budget films right now feel very homogenized. They feel very the same. One of the ways to get rid of that is get a lot of different storytellers on there. Absolutely. And yeah, you know, this this could be this could be marketing. Uh, this could be, you know, Oh, most people, definitely is to some to degree. some degree. Yeah, looking for good PR and stuff like that. I think you know, and I'm not going to be the person that says, well, whatever the reasons, because I do, I do think that the reasons are important. But the fact is that it is going to help and it is going to, you know, make it seen that women can have those roles and be successful. At the same time, this is one of the slowest moving changes in Hollywood, because I think it was a few years ago uh, when... I'm trying to remember. I th trying to remember. I think it's a university that comes out with a study on, you know, who's doing what and where women are as far as roles on screen, off screen, and all through all the different um, positions, whether it's producing, uh, directing, or those sorts of things. And I, the last time I looked at it was either 2017 or 2018, and and the numbers had not actually changed much like barely we're talking a percentage point or two and sometimes not in the right direction but hadn't changed since the year 2000 and you know, we look back on that year of 2017 and the fact is that the three highest grossing films of the year had female-centric uh, stories uh, and characters and that felt like 
this is the changing moment. This is where it turns. Because now studios can't say that those stories won't get audiences. People and, and audiences may have realized for themselves this idea that, wow, okay, it doesn't matter if it's a male or female uh, lead in a film. A, mo- a good movie is a good movie regardless of who who's starring in it. And it felt, it really, I had such optimism from that year. But looking at it now, did it actually change things the way it should have? And I don't think it did. I think things have got better since then, but at a snail's pace. And that's the the thing, yeah. Like, I don't think things went down after that, but I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say we got massive, huge proven to the same level when black panther came and made tons of money in brantford i thought ah now we're going to get more of those type of films and not really Mm -hmm. yeah and that's the 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 frustrating things is we see these these times where we you know there is actual proof that audiences will watch this type of movie or this type of movie or, you know, accept these kind of leads. The proof's there. But it's it really feels like this is one of the slowest changing aspects of Hollywood. Like, I, I think that year may have been what triggered finally going forward with, like, uh, Captain Marvel and Black Widow. Like, I think there was small little things. Maybe Tomb Raider got greenlit again. And stuff like that. And then you had uh, Birds of Prey. Like, I feel like the success of those opened them up to stuff. Or Milan. Mm-hmm. Like, I think things like that did happen. But it wasn't... It was only to the degree of, like, well, this is how it should have always been. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, just... It, it It is good. I'm glad uh, that, that these people are getting... Uh, these opportunities because males like you you mentioned males you can get uh you know uh, and colin trevor was who i meant way back then by the mm-hmm. way I blanked on his name yeah but you can have a small independent film that that generates buzz in certain circles and then all of a sudden you're handed hundreds of millions of dollars and you, you know you've you've got uh all sorts of responsibility now for making something that's not only going to make back money, but in the case of anything Disney, it's got to propel interest forward into future films, both of that specific franchise and anything shared. So well, yeah. Disney, not just that, but they want it to propel into merchandising and rides. Yeah. So, I mean, like you're like, that's so much responsibility on someone uh, that is unproven in that realm and males have had the chance and definitely glad I, you know, I just recently watched book smart again, which I think I already mentioned uh, when talking about banana split and you know, you see such talent in there and I just like Colin Trevorrow does what he made actually translate into the same type of filmmaking. Absolutely not. But in both cases, you look at it and you see there's someone with a lot of talent uh, and you, you know, you believe that they're up for the challenge. Yeah, no, definitely. I, uh, I agree with that 100 percent. 
I, I, I'm just wondering where you stand, though. Do you think in order for there to be real change, do you agree with me that we need to see like a, a Catherine Bigelow or Patty Jenkins be attached to like a Batman? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's the thing right now. It with Patty Jenkins doing Wonder Woman, it was like, well, look, she's going to nail it because she's a woman. Yeah. Right, so she gets the character. Well, does anyone ever say, "Oh, look at, uh, gosh"? It was male directors that gave us Catwoman and yeah. Elektra and, uh, yeah. and stuff like that. And I would say the those men failed at nailing the characters. Yeah, it, you know, oh gosh, but no one disputed it at the time. Yeah, Spielberg's making a movie, and there's a female in it. Is he? Is he gonna like? No one says is Spielberg gonna catch that the the essence of the character, right? Like, should he be directing a film that's got a female in it? Well, or you know, directing a film that not, that has a black female with a predominantly black cast, color purple. Mm-hmm. And. So men don't face those things. It's like if a male is signed up to direct, they don't have to justify that, right? But it felt like with Patty Jenkins, it's like, but it's a female character. And, and so the then what the, I mean, it goes back to the, the result is a good thing, but what are the motives? And what is the motive saying? The motive is saying a woman, a woman can direct what they know. And the thing with any, with, with storytelling in Hollywood be it actors or whatever you're telling anything right like people don't just stick to what hits them they they reach out they try different stories they try different things but if the reasoning for a woman getting hired is well she knows it then that's really crippling uh their potential it's fun. It's interesting. Uh, the franchise that I probably like the longest running franchise I'd like the least fast and furious has probably been the best about allowing uh, diversity behind the camera. Like you've, um, you got, uh, was it Gary F. Gray, Justin Lin, James Wan. Mm-hmm. And so part of me wonders, will they be the first to allow like a female director to do a mainly male cast film? And and I wouldn't be surprised if they did because the the entire thing about Fast and the Furious is just the idea of accepting diversity. Um, and, and yeah, which makes me wish the movies were better. were better. I was about to say, I was about to say whether that that makes them good or not is up to debate. But yeah, that is a franchise where it it really feels like they celebrate diversity. They're proud of it, uh, and, and I. I think that would be a platform where that could happen. Yeah. So, so no, I really hope like, again, I love hearing that Olivia Wilde's given this opportunity. I love that Nia DaCosta's Costa's given this opportunity, but I, in the next few weeks would really love to hear uh, a, a successful female director being attached to sort of one of the non-female big films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's going to be an article too, because you know, anytime a guy director gets attached to just something it's it's you know a huge deal well i also know that that day when that happens especially with something like a batman or a star wars like one of those big things mm-hmm. i know for a fact that i stay away from twitter that week do not go on twitter 
Do not go on Twitter, yes. Because there's probably a lot of people whose opinion I do not want to hear. Yeah, it's a disaster just because... It, and they say, well, it's not being misogynist. Well, the fact that a female is announced and you're automatically saying it's a disaster, because that doesn't happen with the male directors. Well, um, no, no, it was... Because I was trying to think, what was the big DC kerfuffle? But that was over Affleck. As Batman, not nothing to do with a director. No, the, the only thing I remember for a director with a DC would be a Snyder Cut. Yeah, and that exists, man. Don't bash it. It exists. It's out there. Is that? Will that be the biggest disaster of twenty twenty one? Everything I've heard, it just feels like it, that's not going to turn out in a satisfying way. No, no, and the the idea, like they're looking at. They're looking at the... This is the facts. And, and and look, I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything, but the facts are the DC Universe has been so much more successful since a certain person and their influence has left. They've gotten bigger financial returns and they've gotten award recognition. And I'm not entirely sure what this person and i wish him well but what this person thinks is going to happen with this cut yeah i i, I just don't understand the end game of that movie especially when it now has become very very clear that there wasn't a finished product mm -hmm. so now i'm just like i don't know the point i don't either uh oh well we'll find out we'll, we'll see that curiosity is going to kill the cat and i will probably see it unless it's some sort of you know premium 30 dollar rental if it's anywhere within the realm of a normal even theater ticket price, I'll probably check it out just because I love being proved wrong. I love it when any assumption I have about a certain person or a certain type of film or whatever, I love it when I'm just completely blown away and my world, you know, it just feels like a door is flung open and there's something you're exposed to and you have to eat humble pie, but it's always such a good feeling. And I really hope that the Snyder Cut, because it, since, it, since it exists, since it exists, I really hope the Snyder Cut is that, that, that kind of experience. Isn't that the tagline? The Snyder Cut, humble pie. Humble pie. <laughs> Snyder Cut, humble pie, colon, it exists. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, but all I have to say, uh, I think, yeah. So down to it, do I think this is a fad or if this is a new thing? Uh, basically, I guess what I've come down to is I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. To me, I'm not convinced until they're allowed to uh, direct a big, major, non-female-led film. And, and until there is a, a female signing on to direct a big film that isn't news other than just other than just talking about there's a signing happened and, and if you want an example that there's still an issue uh last little bit one of the things where you want to say that sort of voices are missing and, and i know that there's been some big effort in this lately but i think it, the statistic is 30 percent of film critics only 30 percent film critics basically are like females 
hmm. at this point. So, so even when you talk about sort of the conversation of film and the dialogue of film, and in some ways that kind of creates things, and and this is the studio feedback and and sort of knowing what works, it, it's still largely being controlled by. Uh, by males and I, and I think and again this is coming from a white male but I think yeah that's a big thing that has to be looked into it's all these small steps uh, going towards fixing stuff but I do know on the writer front as a person who's pitching and always looking for work more and more now I know editors are basically saying that they are looking for people of color they are looking for people with disabilities they are looking for Female, so I know on the writer front in a lot of magazines, and again, who knows what that's going to be a fad. But right now, they are actively seeking out different voices, which is great. Which sometimes makes my job a little bit harder, but mm-hmm. it's great. It is a good thing. It is. It is a very good thing. Uh, now, we talked about films. This is the first time in a while we've talked about studio films, and the first one of such was the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. Chris took his kids to see this. In a very, very organized cineplex, what sounded like a uh, an experience that instilled confidence instead of making you know you wonder was this a good idea? Uh, Chris enjoyed it. The kids were into it. Sponge on the Run gets three stars. Very positive film, which is what we need right now. Then positively, it's Project Power, and this has a concept that both Chris and I admit we just absolutely think it's amazing. The, this idea you take a pill and you're a superhero for, you know, five minutes. We loved it. The movie got in its own way and definitely had issues. Also, here's a question. If you're like, don't move or I'll shoot you, and then the person you're pointing a gun at shows you, like, opens his lips and shows you, hey, I've got a pill in my mouth I'm about to swallow that will make me invincible and kill you. Why is it that no one ever shoots the person before they swallow it? You would think you would just see that as a weapon. Yeah, it'd be like, well, you were in a bit of an idiot because you just showed me what you're going to do. Bang. There, there, you're, you're dead. But wasn't it such a cool visual? It was... <laughs> And each time it happened, though, I'm like, why is the person, like, why would people, and, and, anywho, anywho, I gave Project Power uh, two and a half stars. Chris gave it uh, two stars. That's the one you gave two stars to, right? That is correct. And then it's unhinged. Russell Crowe, killing people in a diner. What? Yeah, it just happened. And uh, a a movie that, you know, didn't... um, didn't really work in its messaging, if that's what it was going for, uh, Chris said. So uh, it also just wasn't that one the best movie out there right now. So you gave that two stars. Yeah, before you move on, I realize I, I, this is just a thing. And maybe this is a nitpick. So you could tell me right now if I'm being silly. But this is a, it's a thing that always bothers me. Okay, Russell Crowe gets a hold of her phone. He has it now. Uh Uh-oh. So he knows all the contacts. He listened to all her voicemails. He learned everything about her. It helps with his stalking. I get it. That's scary. But why does no one in movies ever have password protection? (laughs) Absolutely. Nobody in movies ever... That's the first thing I thought. He's like, well, at least you have a password on your phone so you won't get all your information. Yeah. Nobody does. that, Unless, Unless the script requires them to have and they have to go to mexico yeah you would think that with 
the way phones like when when smartphones first came out i don't think as many people had passwords on them but then all of a sudden it increases the amount of information that you have on there the amount of sensitive information you have on your phone people password protect and especially in the day and age where biometrics are so seamless in unlocking your phone like if you've got an apple older apple phone like i do with the fingerprint home button it's instantaneous it unlocks it you know with face recognition now it is these companies have made it so easy and effortless for you to lock your phone but yeah in movies nobody's got a locked phone well phones computers like as far as i know the setup process for almost everything now is at least a password. And most of them try to make you use two-factor authentication. Yeah. And so, I don't know. You think it would have been... Because everything I got from that character, he wasn't a hacker. Uh, but he was unhinged. He was unhinged. Yeah. But was so he falling down? He was unhinged, but was he falling down? Um, that that's probably why this movie doesn't work as I feel that movie was way more self-aware <laughs> it was and then the tone uh, was unhit or it was falling down with a beer gut <laughs> at least it didn't have Gerard Butler um, are you are you like me where sometimes not always but once in a while you get those two confused yes which is why I said that like, I feel one is much more talented than the other, mm-hmm. but sometimes I'm like, wait, who is in that one? <laughs> that is the exact reason why I said what I said. Exactly. Well, well, well said. Mm-hmm. And then it comes down to Banana Split. Not the most professional review on my part, but also on the movie itself and a statement on the film itself is it wasn't the most memorable movie of the year. However, it did have its uh, its advantages, which I realized once Chris started talking and started, I started remembering the film. Uh, there are some really great takes in 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 this movie. It's, I mean, it's not gonna rock your world all the way or anything like that. But I'd say it's worth seeing, even though I gave it two and a half. Chris gave it three. So, if you're looking at a Netflix film to to check out right now. Then, then that's uh, that's the one. And if you're in Canada and you want to, um, if you're in Canada and you want to sort of brave the movie theaters, uh, I recommend SpongeBob. And and I would say that from what you said, it sounds like a good recommendation. Yeah, and again, I, I don't blame people who don't want to do that. But like I said, mine felt safe. I think SpongeBob's worth it. Unhinge is most definitely not. Uh, we've been asking for the last few weeks, so we'll ask again this week. We want to know what is your favorite movie of 2020 so far. So please uh, send those in. Tell us what it is. I mean, theaters were open until March, and since then there's been VOD. So hopefully you've seen something from this year. And if you have and you liked it, let us know. Yeah, do do let us know. Pass it along because uh, we'd l- love to find out, especially in such a unique year where uh, there's there seems to be more ways uh, that you can get your hands on stuff. 
So, yeah, we'd love to find out your experiences. It's also a year where when we do our best of the year, I feel like this is going to be the first time ever where a movie I kind of like and maybe sort of remember will make my list. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Unless something really changes in the uh, next few months. But I've looked at, as of now, what my top ten would be. Mm-hmm. And, and my, like, eight, nine, ten are movies that are, like, I never would have imagined that would make a best of the year. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Here we are. We got a few more months, so hopefully my number 10 doesn't start with, this movie was fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, this movie I forgot for three weeks, but then ended up remembering bits of it. Yeah. <laughs> this is my number 10. That's not what you really want, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, email. It's the internet, and we've jumped on board. <laughs> woot, woot. So the movie breakdown at gmail.com is our email address on Twitter. We are at movie breakdown one and our Facebook page is the movie breakdown as well. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, Castbox, Spotify, Apple podcast. And you know, if you've got a favorite place to listen to podcasts, there you go. Do that. And, uh, you know, always, if you know somebody that is into movies or you just think it will enjoy, uh, this podcast, please do share us. Or you know someone who loves failed closings because we we do that a lot. We excel at that. We don't <laughs> fail at the fail closings. <laughs> we don't. Um, as well, I would love you guys after you've listened to our stuff to check out my humble blog where I do writings. Uh, this week I had a piece called Introducing Soft Launch 2.0. It's just me talking about sort of uh, my plans going forward. I've got some very big ambitious plans, but they're going to unroll slowly over the fall and the winter. Uh, I knew they'd be slow for numerous reasons. Uh, me and my wife has made a decision that probably means it's going to be even slower than I initially uh, imagined as the kids may be home longer than I initially planned. So it's going to be a slow rollout, but there is going to be stuff. I have a tribute for uh, the Ugandan giant Kamala who passed away last week. And I have fond memories of him as a wrestler. Uh, reviews, uh, written reviews of SpongeBob and Unhinged. And... Um, yeah, and some other things as well. Uh, there'll be reviews of uh, Bloodshot, Brahms, Boy 2, and Fantasy Island as well. So lots of stuff for you guys uh, coming up on there. So please uh, keep on uh, checking it out. Scott uh, reminded me of my dog. It looked like he scratched his ear there. I did Feel scratch good? my ear, but not with my, my not with my rear leg. With my yeah, I know. You did it a little bit differently than my dogs do. Yeah, and your dogs don't usually have to push aside headphones to get to their ears to scratch them. No, they they, they would chew them up, so I stopped putting them on them. <laughs> They've lost that privilege. <laughs> they didn't know how to treat it proper. They thought it was a chew toy. Uh, so, yeah, uh, after you check out the blog... What you have looked forward to. And again, um, this week I plan on doing a lot of stuff. This week, though, I should warn that I am going to be away from the computer a lot. But unlike the last time where I didn't really have access to Wi-Fi, this time I do. So I'm hoping 
that I can keep up regular. It's just probably going to be some short pieces all this week. What's not going to be short? We've got a super size next week. We got a big episode next week. It's coming a few months late, but it's here now. The breakdown of the best of 2020 so far. For those who have been following us for since the beginning, you kind of know that this is kind of like an award show. We do sort of like our we look at like kind of our favorite scene our favorite performance, our most delightful surprise, most underrated movie. We review what's our worst movie, which I have a feeling this year is going to be the same one between the two of us because I don't think anything's been more painful than that film. But who knows? I might be wrong. Yeah, could be wrong. And uh, also we list our top five uh, movies of the year as well. So lots of different stuff, a way to celebrate the year so far. It's a lot of fun, one of our favorite shows. And so uh, that's next week. Yeah, yeah, this is, it's a very unique episode because it's not anything like our year-end uh, shows. It's a totally unique thing. Uh, so yeah, do uh, do check us out. And, and this year, hopefully, we'll actually post it. Yeah, we, we've, had, we've had issues. We've had issues. Um, actually, I think this show has had the most issues. As last year, something happened where we recorded it and then you... It got lost. Don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. And then I think some other years, I, I believe there was one year where it took us like two weeks to record it because we kept on having like sound issues and internet issues. I believe that was the midweek show where, or the mid-year show where we kept on having to re-record it. I think mm-hmm. we ended up recording it over like five days. Yeah. It's, we, we've had, we've had mistakes. And the problem is, especially last year, there's a movie that I endured to watch because I was doing it for the mid-year, so I ended up seeing the film for no reason whatsoever. Uh, it turned out, other than if it pops up, pops up on Netflix or Amazon Prime, there's a chance it might be on the podcast schedule, just so I don't ever have to suffer alone with that type of misery. I feel like it's going to be one of those cases where even though... Uh you had a hard time remembering a movie from a few weeks ago. I think this one, you select it, and you're still going to be basing off your year-old memory of it. I'll be trying to, yep. Absolutely trying to. <laughs> um, yeah, this will be an interesting one. Uh, normally, I spend the whole week uh, trying to track down some films. But like I said, I, I'm kind of away from my computer all week. So I, I think my picks, at least, are basically cemented. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a few movies I want to see, but... It's it's definitely a shallow pool for me this year. Very shallow pool. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. If we talk about, uh, I mean, really the only film I can think off the top of my head that I really want to track down that I think is a potential was um, the one with Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, Anya. No, Emma. Emma, yeah. Yes. So, who knows? Oh, <sighs> Uh, I was going to say something about Emma, but then I lost my train of thought. Well, I'll tell you what to say about Emma. Mm-hmm. Emma might be talked about next week. It might not. Yep. Mm-hmm. Find out the breakdown of the best of 2020 so far next week. We'll sell you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. <laughs> you know it's a closing. All right, I'm <laughs> Christopher Spicer. And I'm Scott Martin. Bless you for having made it this far. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.